This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. All right, welcome back. Mike Smith in for Simi. One of my favorite segments of the year will be coming up later today on the show, and that's my visit with Karen McSherry from Gourmet Warehouse, and we talk about cooking Christmas dinner. I'm a home cook, and I really love cooking the turkey every year, which I will do tomorrow night. So we'll talk some great tips for you on how to cook a great Christmas dinner on the show later today. And that's part of our hot question of the day, too, which is, it is Christmas Eve. What would you say is the best part of Christmas dinner? Would you say it's the turkey? Of course, that's kind of a no-brainer. Or would you say it's the stuffing? Some people like the stuffing more than the turkey. How about Brussels sprouts. Now, this is a controversial one or a divisive one because some people don't lo- don't like Brussels sprouts. I love them. I think that any Christmas dinner is not complete without the Brussels sprouts. We'll talk about ways to make those, by the way. I got some great recipes on how to cook great Brussels sprouts. Or would you say other? You can give me a write-in vote on it today, too, okay? Here's how you vote on this today. At CKNW on Twitter. You'll find it there. At CKNW on Twitter. Give me a follow while you're there at Mike Smith News on Twitter, Smith with a Y, S-M-Y-T-H. And phone me on the buzz line today and tell me your favorite part of Christmas dinner, 604-331-BUZZ. There's got to be a few Brussels sprouts fans out there. All right. It is a busy day for charities around Metro Vancouver. At this time of year, it's important to think about people who are less fortunate uh, at this time of year for sure. And let's check in now with Jeremy Hunka from the Union Gospel Mission, who does such a great job down there. Hi, Jeremy. Hey, Mike. Great. Thanks Thanks for coming on, Jeremy. So happy to. Appreciate it. Fiza Jaffer, also on the line, Executive Director of the Surrey Food Bank. Hi, hi, Fiza. Hey, Mike. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you for doing this. Jeremy, let me, let me go to you first. What's how's, how's everything going down at Union Gospel? Yeah, I mean, it's busy. Um, there's you, We kind of see two things. Number one, we see, you know, people just right at their limit, right? They're struggling. They are really in pain. Um, they're worried about the holidays. They are coming to terms with the fact that many of them are homeless at Christmas, which is a place that many of them never imagined that they'd be before. And then we also see some relief. So we see a little bit of hope, a flash of a smile. There is some festive spirit in the air. Um, so it's kind of just this, like these dual realities uh, colliding on, on Christmas Eve. Okay, you guys do an awesome job down there, Jeremy. Um, the, you guys do an annual Christmas dinner, right? You've already done that, the Christmas dinner, right? That's right. We have a, and we, we did that earlier in the year. And the reason we do that early in December, we serve 2,500 meals, wow. uh, was because we, we know that this is a really, really difficult time for people. The, that loneliness, that sadness, that struggle, the financial strain, that all becomes more acute at Christmas. Yeah. So we host a dinner early in the month to remind people, hey, we're here. We're here through the holidays. Uh, we want to be here for you. And that usually makes a difference. Okay. Is demand going up? Like, is it getting worse out there? 
I mean, the homeless count shows that the that the demand is going up, that the need is higher than ever. There's never been this many homeless people counted in Vancouver. Um, so uh, it's it's difficult. There's good progress. There's some good things that have happened through uh, poverty reduction strategy with the province and a national housing strategy at the federal government. So there is some improvement, but it's not enough for where we're at. We're just we're lagging, and people are struggling and suffering. Okay, let's go to Fiza Jaffer from the Surrey Feet, uh, Food Bank. Fiza, how's everything going at the food bank there in Surrey? Uh, it's, it's good. I mean, it's it's interesting to say that it's going good. But anyways, we have, I'm looking out to my office window, and we have a lineup out to almost our gate. So, wow. um, and I think, and we have the same thing that Jeremy has, is that duality of people coming in. So we know people that are coming in are in need. They're, uh, they're just on that cusp. They're, they're maybe... They've exhausted their paycheck. They need to pay rent, and they just can't afford the food. But at the same time, we have people and and families that are in Christmas gear and in Santa hats, and there's there's happiness and there's joy. And we have Christmas music playing uh, in, in in our distribution center. So it's it's really heartening to see the the joy and the, the hope that people have. But it's also disheartening to see that the amount of people that we have in our line today. Yeah, when you uh, so it's, it's it's quite a uh, weird juxtaposition of. of uh, challenges here. Yeah, for sure. When when you describe that long lineup there, Fiza, is that typical on a on a daily basis? Uh, pretty much, we see an average of anywhere between 160 to 180 families per day, five days a week. And today, I think we're going to be pushing about 200 families. Wow. We've already it's, we've been open for about an hour and a half, and we've already hit about 125 families. Okay, what about the demand? Like, I was asking Jeremy, does it feel like it's like demand's going up, it's getting tougher? What's your perspective there in Surrey at the food bank? Would you say that there's more people coming in? I think the, the, there's different different demographics of people. So this is the most diverse client base I've ever seen. I've been here for 10 years at the food bank, and I'm seeing uh, new immigrants. I'm seeing uh, all different uh, walks of life coming, different socioeconomic situations, people who are on assistance, People on fixed pensions, people who are working uh, one to two part-time jobs, people working full-time jobs. So yeah. the the diversity is, is going up. The demand it's still there. I mean, it, we do have a high demand, uh, but it's not exponential. I think it's a steady growth. But the diversity has grown so right. much in the last couple of years. Fiza, how can people help there? How can they donate to the Surrey Food Bank? Uh, so you can donate online, uh, SurreyFoodBank.org. You can donate uh, by cash or credit. Uh, Send us a check if you'd like to. Um, another thing is you can donate uh, food just right here at our location uh, in North Surrey. You can donate at your local firehouse. You could donate at your local grocery store. But I think uh, one thing that we do ask people to even think about more is donating their time. So coming out, seeing what we do, taking a tour, coming to volunteer, bringing your families, actually getting an education about who uses the food bank uh, and that they're just people like you, your neighbors, the people in your community. What do you guys need down there? And like, if people want to drop off food, what's the most pressing need? Uh, so protein, uh, canned protein, so canned fish, canned meat, uh, baby formula, and diapers. Those are like the three big things we need right now. Okay, Jeremy, back to you at the Union Gospel Mission. How can people help out there? Definitely go to ugm.ca and you can donate there. Um, this is a huge period of time. People need to give back at this time of the year, um, not only to help us, uh, you know, obviously through the holidays, but right through the upcoming 
winter up through the wet weather. We have a rescue vehicle um, driving around, helping people who are homeless, who have, who have nothing. We're helping women and families. We just gave out a record number of Christmas hampers to families who wouldn't otherwise have things under the tree. Um, the need is huge. So UGM.ca is a place to go. And that would ultimately play a point, play a role in transforming somebody's life. There's a lot of people who I know personally who today are are housed and doing well and employed and reunited with their families. Who a few Christmases ago were sleeping outside on the streets. I know two two gentlemen particularly whose last memory of homelessness was waking up on Christmas morning or Boxing Day um, in the snow or in the wet with nowhere to go, and they came to UGM and they got help and now they're doing great. So that's what well, your donation can do. There you go. There is hope, right? Mm-hmm. Lives can be turned around. I thank you guys for the great work that you both do, and thank you for taking the time on Christmas Eve uh, to share with us. Appreciate it. Happy holidays, Mike. Happy holidays. Thank you, Mike. Thank you to both of you. That's Jeremy Hunka, Union Gospel Mission, Fiza Jaffer from the Surrey Food Bank. Two great charities and great institutions in our community. You know there are a lot of desperate people heading to the mall probably as we speak so we've assembled our last minute christmas shopping panel ali day is the marketing manager for macarthur Glen designer outlet that's at the vancouver airport hi ali hi how are you i'm great ali thanks for coming on and a busy day for you david ian gray is with dig 360 consulting that's a national retail advisory uh based in vancouver hiya david uh hi mike and uh hi ali Hi, David. Okay, it's nice to talk to both of you. Ali, what's the what's the buzz out there at the MacArthur Glen Designer Outlet there at the airport? Are you guys busy? We, we're seeing steady traffic. I think the word might be out that some of our Boxing Day sales have started early this year. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's probably good. Even more people coming in. What's it like in the parking lot out there? You know, we have plenty of parking available, and if possible, we always uh, tell our guests to take the Canada line because we're just located right at Templeton Station. Okay, is it pretty jammed in the parking lot already? or It's, it's not. It's, okay. it's sort All of right. a steady stream in and out. Okay, in your experience, Christmas Eve, is that a busy day for you? You know, we close a little bit early just so that um, our retailers can get home to friends and family, so we close at 5 p.m. today, so we, we tend to see it a little bit quieter in the afternoon. Okay, what's the typical shopping profile there of people coming in? I bet you it's guys looking with a desperate look on their face. <laughs> it's a little bit of everything, yes. <laughs> what's the most popular item down there? What are people buying? Oh, we're seeing a lot of handbags going out this season. Oh. A lot of people shopping for, for gifts for, uh, for wives, girlfriends, sisters, moms. <laughs> yeah, like I said, guys coming in last minute. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Any advice, Allie, for people who are heading out there? Well, just to let everybody know, there, there's plenty of parking, but the Canada Line is always a good right. idea, and right. uh, we're open until 5 p.m. today. Okay, let's go over to uh, David Ian Gray from Dig360. David, is is this, uh, in your experience, Christmas Eve, is that like a busy shopping day or like a desperation kind of, you know, I'm going to buy anything, Old Spice gift set, whatever I can get? Well, you just profiled me, Mike. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I actually like shopping Christmas Eve. I find it very relaxing. It tends to be quieter. I, I think what Ali was describing is pretty accurate. Um, I'd be curious what Ali thought about last weekend and last Saturday in particular, because that the last Saturday before Christmas tends to be the real biggie. 
Well, let's find out. Ali, how was it last Saturday? It was very busy. Yes, we've we've started to hear the term Panic Saturday. <laughs> oh, Panic Saturday. Okay. Okay, we got Black Friday and we got Panic Saturday. Would would you say uh David that where does Christmas Eve sort of fit in the kind of grand scheme of retail? I mean, who's typically shopping on on Christmas Eve? People are desperate, right? Well, they're desperate or um, you know, as people just they're doing the rounds, maybe doing some visits and, and picking yeah. up a couple last things, often maybe just for the house, right. maybe a, a little bit of groceries, that sort of thing. Most people have done the bulk of their shopping. Uh, you know, you can't universally say every shopper is the same as another. And um, obviously there's going to be some people who are, who are as you described. Uh, but it tends to be a bit quieter by the time you hit Christmas Eve and people are starting to turn attention to their, their family. Right. Um, and, of course, Boxing Day, it all starts over again uh, with gift cards and people buying for themselves. And the one thing I'll note is what's changed a lot is uh, you're seeing a lot more Boxing Day sales, and Allie alluded to it at uh, MacArthur Glen. A lot of that's actually starting before Boxing Day. Right. And now what about Boxing Day, of course, coming up this Thursday? Are, are Boxing Day shopping patterns changing in Canada? Like, do or is is Black Friday co- sort of coming on? I mean, that used to be kind of an American thing, and we were more Boxing Day. But is Black Friday uh, getting more popular than Boxing Day in Canada, too? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we've, Dig360 has teamed up with uh, Leger, a really prominent research uh, firm out of, uh, out of Montreal, and we, we've been tracking this since 2010. And you're bang on. It, it was really an American phenomenon. It started to creep into Canada around 08, 09, 2010. And, and in the last five years, it's, you know, it's pretty entrenched here. And what you've seen, it doesn't really uh, cannibalize the last Saturday before Christmas. People are really getting their gift spot then. But in our research, we find a lot of people for Black Friday are still buying for themselves. They're getting their own deals. And that's kind of what Boxing Day was. And um, U.S. doesn't have Boxing Day. It's a Canadian thing. So we've really kind of messed up our patterning a little bit. And for the first time this year, we're predicting about the same percentage of Canadians will be buying on Boxing Day as they were on Black Friday the 29th. And we're predicting about 19%. Okay, Dave, going to be out. David, in 30 seconds, online versus shopping in a bricks-and-mortar store. Is online still coming on, or are, brick, or are actual physical stores making any kind of comeback? Well, yeah, online is continuing to go, and we're certainly researching. We don't window shop in the store anymore. We're, we're doing our research. Yeah. But the big thing is, as we get up to a time crunch of uh, Christmas, we're in our research. We find about half of Canadians are getting concerned about the timeliness of their orders getting delivered. So oh, what right. we find is a real return back to store, but it could be buy online, pick up in store, or click and collect. And that's really been a last couple of years really getting entrenched. All right, guys. Thanks for taking the time today, and uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to both of you. Thank you. Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas. Bye for now. Thank you, guys. That's Allie Day. She's the marketing manager at the MacArthur Glen Designer Outlet Outlet at the Vancouver Airport. They're busy there today. David Ian Gray from Diggs 360 Consulting. And one of my favorite things to do on the radio is talk about cooking a perfect turkey dinner with Karen McSherry, founder and president of the Gourmet Warehouse. And I'm so pleased she could join us today. Hiya, Karen. Hi, Mike. 
Mike. Happy Christmas to you. I'm so excited. This is my favorite day of the year because of the lead up. It's so exciting. I love it. Is it a busy day down at the Gourmet Warehouse today? Oh, it's been it's been a great month. We've been so so busy, and I I was on the floor almost every single day in December, helping people, talking to people, and they love it because we're there not just we're not there to just sell you. We're there to help you. Like, yeah. what can I do? How can I do this? Can you give me some tips? And that's exactly what I love to do because my whole world is like helping people to be better cooks. I love it, Karen. And uh, one of the, let's see if we can help out some people right now. Let's talk a little uh, Christmas cooking, okay? So, sure. Our hot question of the day on Twitter, you, you'll be interested in this, Karen, was what is the best part of Christmas dinner? Uh, in first place is the stuffing at 50%. And we'll, we'll talk about stuffing in a second. But in second place, well, this is kind of a natural thing. Turkey, okay? So turkey is 31%. Getting more votes for stuffing than turkey. But let's talk about the turkey. Now, one of the things that I always like to do, and I know you're a big believer in this too, is brine the turkey, which I like to do overnight. So I'm going to I'm gonna brine my turkey tonight. Do you think that's a good yeah. idea? That you have, you have to find it. You should be brining it right now. Oh, what time okay. are you planning on eating? Well, you know, I guess around late afternoon tomorrow, 6 yeah, o'clock. Okay, so as soon as your show's done today, mix up your brine solution and start brining. Get it in. Have you got the big bag? I, you know what I've got? I've got a big, giant cooler that I fill with that water, and I put a yeah. bunch of ice cubes in there, too, to just keep it cold. And that works. You know? yeah. yeah, that works. That's, That's what I suggest. Somebody came in yesterday and said, I need a big pot to brine my turkey. I said, I'm not selling you a stainless steel pot. And he looked at me, and he said, but why? And I said, I want to save you money. Go to Canadian Tire or Home Depot and get yourself a Coleman cooler. Yeah. And you've got that for the summer and the winter, and you're going to put your turkey in there, put it outside on your patio, surround it by ice, put your turkey in the brining bag with your brining solution, and you're going to have the best turkey you'll ever eat. I'm a big believer in it, and the key ingredient, you can put lots of stuff in a brine solution, but the key ingredient is like kosher salt, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then you can use your own aromatics. Like if you like a little bit of a garlic hint, you throw garlic in, peppercorns, bay leaf, fresh thyme. Uh, you can throw in some rosemary. You can do anything you want. And then there's a there's so many recipes available online. If you just yeah. go brine turkey or go to foodnetwork.ca uh, and there they'll have all these other ideas. But it's as simple as boiling salt and water and aromatics and a bit of sugar, cooling it down, pour, make sure that it's cold. Do not pour that hot brine over your, your uncooked turkey. That That is just really important to know. Mm -hmm. You cool that brining solution to down, and then you pour it over the turkey, and then you let it sit for 24 hours. Okay. Why is it a good idea to do that? Like, what what is the result of the turkey that you get after brining? The, the salt breaks down the connective tissue so it yeah. tenderizes the meat now people are all right away i can hear their minds going well i don't want all that salt in my cooking and i don't right. want it doesn't it doesn't permeate the meat so it's never a salty taste the salt you end up throwing the brine away once right. the turkey sat in the brine for it's 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 due course of 24 hours you toss all that brining solution you wash the bird well and yeah. then you put it in the roasting pan and off you go but what it does it makes the most delicious tender bird you'll ever ever taste yeah I i'm do. i'm a hundred percent um briner 
Me too. From the very first year I did it, I do it every year. What temperature do you put your turkey in the oven? I started at 375 to get that really get it hit, and then I'll watch it and turn it down because I don't want it too brown on the top without because you and you don't want that burnt stone cold when you put it in either because Mm. it, it, it cooks on the outside, but the inside's still cold. It's like with anything. Even in the summer, you and I talked about barbecuing, and bring your steaks or your protein out of the fridge an hour before you're going to throw it on the grill because you don't want it cold in the center. The outside will cook and the center won't be. Yeah, people might be afraid about poultry being warm, I guess, but, you know, you're going to be okay An if it's hour? just warm. No, it's yeah. fine. It's a couple right. hours. It's not, it, it, it's fine. Right, right. Okay. Um, how about seasoning the, the turkey? I, I like to make a, like a flavored butter. So I take some butter, uh, mash in some chopped up fresh herbs, rosemary, sage, maybe a little bit of garlic, and I like to smear that on the outside. What do you think? I think that's terrific. And if you can carefully lift the skin up, get some underneath the skin so that flavor goes directly into the meat. So it doesn't just just do the the skin, it does the under. So you want to carefully sort of massage in, lift up the skin without tearing it, and rub a bit of that compound butter in there. Okay, uh, the the top vote-getter on our hot question today on Twitter, Karen, for the best part of Christmas dinner is the stuffing. So what would you say, what would be your sort of top tip on making a great stuffing? Okay, so stuffing, two, two, two options. Some people like to make it out of the bird, and some people like to stuff it in the bird. I'm all about in the bird, but then that adds on cooking time to your turkey. Mm. If you leave the stuffing out and you cook it separately in a cheesecloth bag and you do it that way, um, it's less time. But you don't get the drippings going through the stuffing, so it tastes so delicious. Um, Stuffing is, I like a bread-based stuffing, classic, and then I like to, there's so many options. You could choose to put dried cranberries and apricots and chestnuts if, if you wanted that kind of a stuffing. Some people love a sausage stuffing, but you'd have to cook that sausage first before you mix it in with the bread cubes and and that and make sure that you don't make the stuffing too wet with the chicken stock Mm. because if it's too wet it will just be a it'll be like mush you know because don't forget the drippings of the bird go into the stuffing to give it moisture one of the things i've learned karen over the years i've had kind of a cooking journey and i started out doing real basic stuff like first time i ever made stuffing i made the stuff in a box like stovetop stuffing or whatever oh bad boy oh i know and i did that for a long time i thought oh it's so good and <laughs> then and then uh, and then i figured I out you would never do that now well no because you figure out that it's easy to do it the right way then i started using the you know the bag of bread cubes which is okay too but what i like to do now is is get a nice sourdough loaf oh, from yeah. a bakery or whatever pull it apart and then put it in my oven and kind of crisp it up a little bit. And that's really important because if you put in fresh, again, your stuffing will be soggy. Yes. Day-old bread. You know what I do is, so, you know when you buy bread, I, I keep bread in my freezer. That's just how I keep it fresh. So you could mix up sourdough, whole wheat, white. And if you go into your freezer and you've got, oh, I got a couple, three slices of that. I've got, I've got two hamburger buns, two brioche hamburger buns there left that I didn't use. Bring all that out, chop it all up, tear it up, let it dry out really well. And yeah. there's your bread. Don't go and spend money on bread cubes because they're about a hundred years old. 
<laughs> I know they're very dry and kind of. <laughs> it's just yeah. nasty. Let's yeah. just be honest. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what about gravy? How? What would you say is your top tip for making a great gravy? Okay, so you're going to take your bird out because the bird has to sit. And this is where everybody gets so stressed out because the vegetables are going, the potatoes need to be mashed, and the turkey's now sitting with the little towel over it to keep them nice and warm. And now you've got, you're looking at the gravy and you're looking at the pan and you're stroking out. So really warm up the drippings. Just leave the, everything in there. If there's chunks of, if some stuffing bits have fallen out, pick that out. Um, and if there's any sort of things in there, like, like pieces of little, little bit of skin, take that out. So what you're going to do is just simply take flour. If you're celiac, you can use rice flour and you're going to sprinkle flour in that, in the pan drippings, a nice whisk. And you're going to whisk that in for about five minutes on low heat. What you're doing is you're cooking the flour that's your thickener then slowly you're going to take if you've got the potato water saved use that if you don't um you can use chicken stock or turkey stock or vegetable stock or whatever um, and then slowly whisk in the stock until the the gravy comes together i like to throw in a good cup of madeira to give it that oh. nice or, or sherry and then it just gives it that beautiful edge and sort of a bit of sweetness Okay, I love it. Now, I usually will get... Yep. Done. Okay, I love it. Now, I I usually get, like, just a carton of chicken stock at the supermarket, but you can also use, like, the neck and the giblets or whatever out of your turkey to do... boil that up, yeah. Yeah, just do Mm -hmm. a nice stock on your top of your stove, right? Absolutely. That's the neck and the giblets and all of that in that little paper bag or four to boil up so that you can use that as your gravy stock. Yeah, it's nice. It's easy, too. And and it's easier than people think, I I think, generally. Yeah, it's just the, it's the veg timing. And, yeah. and if people go, I've got such a small kitchen. If you've got a patio with the barbecue, use your barbecue mm. as a place to keep things warm. Oh, that's a great idea. Okay, you know, Karen. Put that barbecue on 200 and keep things warm in that cavity. Let's go right to your phone calls. Hiya, Glenn. Hey, Glenn. Hey, how's it going? Sorry. Good. Yeah, hey, I was going to ask, uh, how about injecting a little bit? Like, I've injected a lot of pork roasts and, uh, and roasts and uh, even uh, that sort of stuff. How about injecting a little bit of flavor into the uh, into the breasts and maybe the, the, the legs and the thighs? And it's a, it's a great okay. idea. It's a fabulous idea. You know what? Injecting has been around long before brining was. So, yeah, that's a fabulous idea. Make, flavor your butter with, you know, good taste and then inject your turkey in, and it would be great. Yeah, I've seen these uh, before, Karen. This looks like a big hyper, hypodermic yeah. needle, right? It's exactly it. And so the needle is sort of it's like a, a, a thick sort of a plastic, and it can't be too thin because, of course, the, the um, solution has to go into the bird, but you do that when the bird's raw, inject it into multiple places. It's like when you, 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 know, you do the little slivers of garlic in a roast or something, you know? Right, It's right. the same idea, and that, that's a great way to, to, to um, add um, additional flavor. Okay, do you sell those down at Gourmet Warehouse? Yeah. We of have them. We have everything. Of course, Michael. I knew you, you know would that. have it. I knew, <laughs> I knew you would have it. We have everything you want, <laughs> nothing you need. <laughs> I have no doubt. Rachel in Coquitlam, hi. Hi there. Hi. Hi. I'm wondering how long should I let my turkey rest for? Because someone said to rest it for as long as you cook it, and then oh god, I'm no, no, hungry no. Else. 
No, okay. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. Um, you're going to rest it for about a good half hour. You know, what you're doing is okay. you're not, you don't want it to get be cold, but you don't want it. What the idea of resting is to just set the juices, because if you cut right into it, it's like a, it's like a roast beef. It's like any yeah. protein. When you cut into it, all the, the, everything's hot, and those juices just run, and that's where the flavor is. So you're trying to keep the, the juices intact into the bird before you start slicing, because then you're just going to have all the juice run out, and when that happens, there goes your flavor. So you're going to get a, a, a kitchen towel, not a paper towel, a, an actual cloth towel, and, and cover the bird so that keeps it from getting cool to the, to, to, to the room temperature. You don't want that. You want to cover it well like a blanket over it almost with kitchen towels, and that will let it settle while you are now making the gravy. What about covering it awesome. with... Thank, thank you, Rachel, for that. What about covering it with... Uh, Tin foil is a you know cloth what? better. Tin foil, no tin foil. It's like covering yourself with tin foil. It's not going to protect anything. You, that bird is hot, and you want to keep it warm. Tin foil doesn't keep the heat in. Tin foil reflects. Right, and one of the great things about resting the bird too is that you know people might think, oh, I'd rest it too long. You're always going to have the hot gravy with it, right? So of course, yeah. of course. And yeah. what we love best. Three hours later is picking at that that <laughs> bird that's sitting there. You know, I want to mm. taste a little bit more. So yeah, the hot gravy and everything. I, I analyze a turkey dinner. Like you'll you'll have people over for dinner, Mike. Like say you have a few couples over for dinner and you anguish over the main and the salad and and dinner is two to three hours. Lots of conversation and you pause between courses. Turkey, you make the you're, you're stressing in the kitchen that everything's ready at the same time. I have never seen a meal that takes so long to prepare be mowed down in twenty minutes or less. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Yeah, right. It does, it does disappear. And then everybody quick. rolls back, pushes their yeah. belly from the table, and what do they say? <laughs> oh, I'm so full. I ate too much. <laughs> yeah, and undo that top button yeah everybody's undoing that top (laughs) button we would never do that at a sit-down dinner party we're casual and it goes for hours not turkey that's right okay it's a race to the finish yeah tom and delta hi tom hey smitty merry christmas same to you we got a minute left here go ahead okay hey karen uh this is not exactly a, a christmas uh food question but it's driving me crazy i i'm pretty sure a couple of weeks ago you were talking about a substitute for phyllo pastry that's way easier to make. Brick, B-R-I-K. It's that's a what it is, brick. Pastry, and it is fantastic. I love brick. I'm in love with brick. It allows you to, um, it, you don't have to race the clock like phyllo where it dries out so fast. And it's right, okay. You can, you can put a little oil in the pan and pan fry it even. You don't have to put it in the oven. Phyllo, you could never do that with, so it's called brick, and it's delicious. Hard and to find, B- but... B-R-C-K, right? Find, yeah, I know where you can get it. Oh, where, <laughs> Let, where can you get it? <laughs> Gourmet Warehouse. There you go. Gourmet <laughs> Warehouse. I was, there. I was just there. I spent about 500 bucks there the other day. Jeez. Oh, boy. So much. 
I hope you pick up my cookbook because that is the companion to side dishes for the holidays. Tom, Tom, Merry Christmas. I can't, I can't, I got to go, Tom. I'm sorry, but Merry Christmas to you, though, and thank you for the call. Uh, Karen, the time always goes by so quick, and we didn't even get to our leftovers that we're going to talk about, but because I was so excited about talking turkey. Where where can you go online for it? You You can go to Gourmet Warehouse to get the recipe, and I'm not sure if Alan put it up on NW's, but it's a, a recipe for leftover turkey that isn't soup thank you very much merry christmas this episode is brought to you by shopify do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real pos you need shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory shopify pos has everything you need to sell in person go to shopify.com system all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today that's shopify.com slash system. Merry yeah. Christmas to you. Have a great time with your family, and I'll be thinking of you cooking your turkey tomorrow. Thank you, Karen. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Merry Christmas to you. That's Karen McSherry from the Gourmet Warehouse. The year is winding down. So is the decade. So let's take a look back at the 2010s now. It's hard to narrow it down to just one or two top stories of the past decade that affected B.C., Let's take a moment now to look back at some of the significant events in British Columbia from the past 10 years. Here's Nikki Reitmeyer. There were so many events in our province this past decade that helped shape our lives. Commuters were able to enjoy the newly opened Portman Bridge in 2012. Our cities grew more dense and our roadways seemed to get busier. Gang violence continued to plague Metro Vancouver. And of course, the 2011 Stanley Cup riots left Vancouver shaken. Of course, there was political change here. In 2017, in the general election, Christy Clark's Liberal Party won 43 seats, the NDP won 41, and the Green Party won three seats. The latter two formed a coalition, and thus John Horgan became Premier. But let's not forget that we started this decade as the hosts of the 2010 Winter Olympics. My strongest memory from the Vancouver Winter Olympics is when we won gold at the hockey game when Team Canada won. And I was about two blocks from where the gold medal game was happening. And I knew the game was happening and we were trying to get updates live as people walked by and there was a bar nearby. And all of a sudden, like, the earth started to vibrate and you heard this just... Through the streets, and you hear the arena, and everybody in the street, like people are running with flags. And people are like climbing the lampposts, and they were like up, like cheering. Everyone was so happy, and I was out there, and the entire Granville Street Bridge was closed to traffic, and it was just a sea of people, everybody in red, everybody cheering, and having this most amazing evening and coming into the city to celebrate Canada's win. What would you say is one of the lasting legacies from the 2010 Olympics? Oh, jeez. Infrastructure is one of the legacies. Others, I'm sure, would say that debt is one of the legacies (laughs) as well. Definitely, yes. I don't know. I mean, it's not as if Vancouver wasn't on the map before, but it certainly, I I mean, it brought a certain spotlight to the city. What it gave us was confidence on the world stage. I mean, Expo 86 was probably the first time we had that kind of worldwide attention. If Expo 86 was one leap forward, the Olympics were the next leap forward, that people felt confident that, yeah, Vancouver belongs on the world stage, and now we're going to show everybody. And I think that is something that we have kept 
since then. We are known around the world now because I had lived in different places in the world and like people would be like, where are you from? I'd be like, oh, Vancouver. And they'd be like, oh, where? Like, do you guys have igloos up there? And now people know we don't have igloos. (laughs) (laughs) It was Canada's best showing ever. We won 14 gold, seven silver and five bronze for a total of 26 medals. Well, it is normal to hear people in the Lower Mainland complain about the high cost of housing and transit. Whether you're looking to buy or rent, many people are finding themselves simply priced right out of the market. Why are gas prices so much higher here than the rest of the country? One of the biggest issues that British Columbians faced in the 2010s was the increased cost of living. Homes, gas, food... Every day, people arrive at YVR, coming to live and work in what is known as one of the most livable and beautiful cities in the world. For many, there is the dream of a job in the fast-growing tech industry, but there's a problem. People come here and look at the cost of housing, get right back on the airplane and leave. The cost of housing exploded in B.C. in the 2010s. Housing costs increased as much between 1981 and 2005 as they did in just a five-month period in 2016. And as the cost of housing increased, so did BC's homelessness problem. Emergency shelters in Metro Vancouver are 97% full. With so little housing and so little money, many are stuck. I live in a SRO. Of course, everybody wants to have a place. I mean, it would be insane to say, oh, no, I don't want an opportunity to have stable housing. Ten cities, like the one on the Wally Strip or Oppenheimer Park, began to pop up with increasing frequency. And young people in Metro Vancouver began to accept that they may never be able to afford to buy a home in the city where they grew up. Then there was the opioid crisis. Hundreds are being saved every day, but hundreds more continue to die. A historic overprescription of opioids led to a massive addiction problem in the 2010s. It turned even more deadly when fentanyl came onto the scene in the middle of the last decade. This is the face of the opioid crisis. Stephanie Lawrence just turned 15. She died last month in Vancouver. Her parents still can't believe she's gone. Overdose deaths skyrocketed. The 2017 data reflects the most tragic year ever. Nearly four people dying a day from illicit drug overdoses in B.C. last year. Deadly fentanyl, often mixed with heroin, cocaine and meth. B.C. declared a public health emergency in April 2016 in response. Since then, over 3,600 people around the province have lost their lives to drug overdoses. We do have a crisis, and for too long people have just had their head in the sand about this. And this decade, we also learned just how bad the problem with money laundering in our province is. Vancouver, and by extension Canada, is becoming internationally recognized as a hub for laundering transnational crime proceeds. Criminals parked billions in dirty cash into our real estate. In 2017, a journalist named Sam Cooper blew the lid off of the money laundering scandal. The allegations were that about $14 million worth of uh, $20 bills used on the street came into River Rock Casino in one month in June 2015. He revealed that drug money from China was being laundered through BC casinos and through the purchasing of luxury cars and homes. Attorney General David Eby promised a crackdown, and Peter German released an in-depth report. 
By 2019, Prime Minister Trudeau promised $70 million over the next five years to fight the problem. In May, Premier Horgan announced a public inquiry. But as it stands, few arrests have been made. The dirty money has been linked to BC's high cost of housing and opioid crisis. Then there were the BC wildfires, which seemed to display increasing severity year after year. Activity was normal at the beginning of the decade. 2012 actually saw fire activity 25% below average, but that changed in 2014. It is an emotional roller coaster here, Robin. The flames not far from mine. They're also not far in distance. 2015 saw record-breaking heat. The 2016 fire season started unusually early, but ultimately it was the calm before the storm, as the 2017 wildfire season was one of the worst in BC history. Wildfires can continue to blaze across the province with dozens of communities under evacuation alerts or orders. The government has declared a provincial state of emergency. Kamloops is socked in by smoke. Now thousands have come through here at the evacuation center at Thompson River 1.24 million hectares have burned. 2018 set a new record in the amount of area burned. There was also no shortage of debate this past decade between those in support of energy projects and those against them. Projects such as Site C, the Enbridge Northern Gateway Pipelines, and the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Now those are just some of the major themes and news that shaped the past decade in British Columbia. What do you think was the biggest BC news story of the past 10 years? Call our buzz line, 604-331-BUZZ. For 980 CKNW, I'm Nikki Reitmeyer. All right, let's talk about podcasts now. So popular these days because there's a podcast out there for just about any topic you're interested in. So versatile, you can listen to them anytime you like. But it is a jungle out there. So many different podcasts to choose from. How do you find the best one to listen to? Well, we've got you covered today. Let's talk to a couple of superb podcasters in their own right, and they're going to share some of their favorites. Christy Lee is on the phone, host of the Canadian True Crime Podcast. Hi, Christy. Hi, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for coming on. And also, Kathy Kenzora on the line. She is the host of the History of the 90s podcast on Curious Cast. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot, guys, for doing this. Christy, let's go to you first. You do an awesome job there at the Canadian True Crime podcast and i know that some of the crime podcasts out there are among your favorites so let's start with uh one of your favorites there nighttime tell me about that and then we've got a little bit of a clip we're going to play too yeah um nighttime is one well was one of the first ever podcasts in canada that covers true crime and uh jordan bonaparte hosts it from halifax in nova scotia and it's not just true crime, though. He also covers weird things that happen in Canada. So it kind of includes, like, um, mysteries and UFOs and Sasquatch sightings and just weird occurrences. And um, one of my favorite series that he's covered, and it was very high profile, was an exclusive prison interview with um, a woman called Lindsay Savannah who's an American in her early 20s who, in 2015, flew from Chicago to Halifax with a plan to meet up with her boyfriend and his friend and then kind of shoot up a local shopping mall before taking their own lives. So very, very serious. But 
Luckily, the police were tipped off, so it didn't actually happen. Um, but to date, I believe that Nighttime Podcast has been the only one to speak directly to Lindsay from prison. And it's really fascinating. Um, it's clear that something isn't quite right with her, but Jordan does a really excellent job of interviewing her um, and kind of a curious way without giving her a platform for some of her extreme views. So I've got a bit of a clip from of Lindsay talking to Jordan from from prison. We originally began as just friends, and then we kind of started planning to meet up in real life, and the context of that meeting would be some kind of mass shooting. And after that, I don't know, I just felt really strongly attracted to him, I wasn't sure exactly what these feelings were. I thought it was just, you know, adrenaline from planning a murder. But it turned out to be so much more than that. He just started acting like he was completely in love with me. And at first I was just kind of going along with it. But then I just started feeling things for him, too. That's an extraordinary interview, uh, to say the least, for sure, Christy. I can see why that's near the top of your list. So that's the nighttime podcast. Wow. Okay. So let's go to Kathy now. We're going to cover a lot of ground here and uh, and give you a whole bunch of tips on different podcasts. And we'll go to Kathy now with one of her top picks. And Kathy, that's a, a podcast called The Happiness Lab. And let's have a little listen to the trailer. Many of us are starting to feel like happiness is increasingly out of reach. So I decided to do something about it. I developed a class on the science of happiness. So many people turned up that I had to teach the course in a concert hall. And now I want to share these insights with you. All right, Kathy Kenzora, tell me about this podcast. Yeah, it's just like the trailer says, she's teaching you um, some great tips on how to make your life happier. But it's all based in science. So that's why I really like it. It's not just like someone giving you these sort of woo-woo ideas writing your gratitude journal and meditate every day, but they're using science on things you can do that will make you a happier person. And some of them might be obvious to some people, but it's really fun to listen to, um, you know, the, the details on how it can change your brain and things. And I'll tell you a couple episodes I really enjoyed. Episode four, which was um, the whole idea that our lives now are designed so that we don't talk to people anymore. You know, so you're, you're texting your friends, you're um, emailing with, uh, you know, people at work, and you never actually have to talk to anyone. You go to an ATM machine instead of a bank machine. You rent your movies on your TV. You don't have to even go to a movie theater anymore. So, you know, the more t- technology goes in that direction, the you know, the, the less we're talking to people. But they've done these studies that prove, and she goes through the study, that by talking to people, even strangers on the on the train on your way to work will make you a happier person. And believe it or not, the other people that you talk to, the random strangers you're talking to, right. will also be happier. So I, you know, it's little, little easy tips like that. But it's, it's really cool, because it's all based in science. So you know, if you're doing it, that it's going to make a difference in your life. Okay, that's the Happiness Lab podcast. That's another good tip. So that's Kathy's uh, one of Kathy's first tips. Let's go back to Christy now. Christy Lee is the host of the Canadian True Crime podcast. And Christy, you do a great job there. I'm not surprised you've got some crime podcasts here on your pick list. So let's go to your number two choice here, The Crime Machine. Tell me about that one. And we got a little clip of that one too. The secrets couldn't possibly be kept forever. 
the strange thumping heard on the stairs in the night, exactly like a body being dragged. The disappearance of a tenant soon after, then fresh dirt in the yard. The efforts of Dorothea to keep everyone's story straight as to what had occurred in the home prior to a tenant going AWOL. Whoa, okay, that's the crime machine. Christy, what do you like about this one? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a new breed of true crime podcast, and kind of the best way to describe it is kind of, is like a full-on audio experience. And it's actually produced out of um, a small town in Manitoba by a podcaster called Jack Luna. And um, he is just an amazing natural storyteller. And the way it's kind of set up, it's like a time machine, get it, crime machine. Uh, and at the helm is this character called the operator who's kind of like a bumbling idiot who sets it up. And then uh, you hear from the host, Jack Luna, who has been transported to a very specific moment in crime and then kind of gives you all the details of that specific moment as, as a, an audio experience. So, um, you know, there's lots of sound effects and there's very um, uh, particularly chosen music in certain scenes. And it's, it's just, it's very, it's a very new take on a true crime podcast. And, and you know, I love to support um, other Canadians doing new things um, on the scene. So, yeah, Crime Machine great okay some great tips guys here's what we'll do and that's the crime machine by the way that's a that sounds like a really cool one actually okay kathy let's go back to you now with your one of your best picks for podcasts out there and this one is called running from cops and here's a little listen to that one i went from having five guys to 25 guys overnight arresting six seven eight guys a month to arresting over 300 people a month i mean it was crazy Nothing's voluntary when you got handcuffs on. So, uh, yeah, she signed a waiver, but it was not voluntary. Nothing is as compelling as cops breaking down doors and throwing people on the ground. Why were they working so closely with the camera crew? Why do they have so much authority? Show the people what we are. Don't be afraid of the cameras. I'm not. Okay, that's Running From Cops podcast. Kathy, tell me about this one. So this was hosted by Dan Taberski, and he uh, did another one that was popular um, last year called Missing Richard Simmons, which was about Richard Simmons and trying to find out where he was. And it got, a, a you know, a lot of media. And now this one um, is, is very similar that he, it's really highly produced, really fun to listen to. Dan Taberski is very funny, but he's looking at the TV show Cops and... Um, which is considered the longest-running reality TV show. It started in 1989. It's, they're still making new episodes. So I'm talking about Cops, the show Bad Boys, Bad right. Boys. Everyone knows it. Yeah. Um, you know, real cops seen arresting people. But um, it's looking, you know, a lot of people have watched it as entertainment. And then now we have Live PD, which is very similar. And it's a huge phenomenon right now. People are watching it on A&E. Same idea. They're following cops around making arrests. And I have to admit, I never really watched cops in the 90s, but I've been watching Live PD in the last couple of years as entertainment. And I, after listening to Running From Cops, I won't watch it anymore because what he does is he's telling what's really going on behind the scenes that a lot of these people that are being arrested are being coerced into signing those, um, you know, the release forms to be on the show. They're basically in handcuffs, and they're saying, you know, we'll we'll lower your charges. 
will drop your charges or will, you know, charge you with something else less, you know, that will get you in less trouble if you sign this release to be on the show. So it's like wow. the cops and the, and the TV production companies end up working together. And sometimes people are, they say on the show, on uh, running from cops, sometimes people are drunk. Well, a lot of time, if you're watching it, there's people who are on drugs and they're drunk and they sign release forms, which is against the law. You can't do that. You can't give, you know, permission to be on these shows if you're intoxicated, but they do it anyway. And it's just like they're saying they're filming people on the worst day of their lives mm. and putting it on TV. And in small towns, people are recognized and it affects, you know, they tell the stories of how this in- impacts and affects people. So um, it's really, really eye-opening and quite quite entertaining to listen to because, it, like I said, it's really highly produced. There's a lot of great clips. They're interviewing a lot of, you know, people involved, the producers involved in cops and, and police officers. So it's, it's a real, um, it's a nice one to listen to if you're going on a long drive and you want to download a bunch of episodes. That is one that will keep you, um, I think, riveted for your, for your drive to your in-laws or wherever you're going this, these holidays. Okay, what an amazing idea for a podcast. That sounds really interesting one. Mm-hmm. That's the Running From Cops podcast. Okay, uh, back to Christy Lee, host of the Canadian True Crime Podcast. Now, Christy, I was not surprised your first two picks were crime podcasts, but your, your third one here is kind of an, an, an in, a different kind of take on the podcasting world. The Secret Life of Weddings, and here's a little listen to that. People are gathered around the mother of the groom. She is choking. She is brought to the ER. A guest brings me a purse that was left behind. I bring the purse to security. Opens the purse and sees six forks, six spoons, and six knives. Fast forward, and the mother of the groom returns, and she asks if anyone has found her purse. Security comes, and they present her with the purse and an invoice for the stolen cutlery. They discreetly asked her to pay by the end of the evening, and no one would have to know about this. She paid two thousand two. $250 and she didn't even get to take it home. (laughs) Okay. These are like wedding from (laughs) hell stories here, Christy. Absolutely. Yeah. And obviously I love my true crime, but everybody needs a little palate cleanser from the darkness occasionally. (laughs) And this is one of my favorites. It's a, it's a comedy podcast and it's all about crazy and true wedding stories and the the hosts Lisa and Rebecca are wedding photographers with more than uh, 20 years experience and they live in southern Ontario where I live and mostly they share the wildest wedding stories that have been sent in by their listeners and also from the news and let me tell you there's some off the chart crazy going on at weddings Um, I just love these two the way that they tell their stories is just laugh out loud hilarious and uh yeah, it's true that the truth is stranger than fiction. So, yeah, The Secret Life of Weddings is one of my absolute favorites. Okay, that one sounds like a lot of fun, The Secret Life of Weddings. Okay, we've got one more here from Kathy Kenzora. And, Kathy, your final tip today is the podcast, The Ongoing History of New Music. Here's a listen. Here are a couple of musical terms that you may have heard of somewhere before. Number one is earworm. That's when a clip of a song keeps running through your head over and over and over again on a loop, and it drives you crazy. Everybody's had one of those. Term number two is mondegreen. That's a misheard lyric, and a great example is in Jimi Hendrix's Purple Haze. He sings, excuse me while I kiss the sky, but millions of people hear that as, excuse me while I kiss this guy. 
There are lots and lots of Mondegreens in popular music. All right, Kathy, what do you like about this one? Well, everything. <laughs> Alan Cross is amazing. And uh, this uh, podcast is uh, based on his radio show that maybe some of your listeners have heard, depending on where they've lived in Canada. It's because it's Canada's longest-running radio documentary about alt-rock music. And he looks at other things, as other, you know, hip-hop and, and uh, different um, types of music as well. But uh, it's now in podcast form, has been for a couple of years. So if, you know, you're somewhere where you can't hear the radio show, you can go back and listen to some older episodes. He's still making new episodes. They're all amazing. Um, and Alan is just like a, a legend in radio and, and in, in the rock world. So he's really fun to listen to. But he has so much information about, um, you know, all the bands we love. And if I can make a recommendation on a couple of sh- episodes to go back on. Sure. Back in, sorry, to start with. Um, if you go back to season one, if you're in uh, Apple uh, podcast, go back to season one, episode 43. He does um, a tragically hip retrospective after uh, Gordon Downey died, which is really great to listen to. Um, season one, episode 24. We also heard um, the tragically hip uh, fully completely. Uh, it was the anniversary of that album. So there was um, an interview that Alan did with Rob Baker, the guitarist. And, you know, reflecting on making that album and, and some really cool stuff about the artwork for that album. So that was really great. And I'll give you one more. Um, season one, episode 16 and 17. It was a two-parter on um, U2's album Joshua Tree. It was the for the um, anniversary of that. Alan interviewed Daniel Lamois, one of the producers of the album, and went through every single song on the album um, and about the making of it. It was so interesting to listen to, um, you know, all of the details of how the songs were made and just some funny stories. So it's, if you're a, you know, if you're a music fan, um, it's definitely a great one to listen to. Okay. The ongoing history of new music is that podcast guys. This has been great. A lot of awesome tips there. Why don't we finish up real quick in the, in the minute or so we got left and just quickly give a plug out to the podcast that you host yourselves and where people can find them. So, Christy, tell me a little bit about the his- history of the Canadian True Crime podcast and where can people find that? Well, um, I'm obviously an Australian and I've been living here for 10 years and and uh, there was just a little bit of a gap in the market for Canadian true crime content, so I decided to give it a go. And uh, nearly three years later, I'm still going at it. So... Um, I basically tell the story, um, and it's kind of like an audio book experience, I guess. Um, you can find me at canadiantruecrime.ca. Okay, wonderful. And Kathy, how about the History of the 90s podcast? Yeah, it's part of the Curious Cast podcast network, so you can find it at curiouscast.ca, but it's also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, everywhere where you stream uh, podcasts. And we're looking back at some of the the big stories from the 90s. We've covered things like Columbine and uh, Friends, Lion King, the Olympic bombing. But um, we have coming up in January, we have an episode about the the invention of online dating, which, of course, started in 1995. And then uh, we have some other uh, topics coming up in the new year that uh, I think your listeners will love as well. Uh, congratulations on all the success you've both had and onward and upward in 2020. Thanks for coming on. You're very Thank welcome. Thank you so Have much for having us. You bet. Thank you to both of you. That's Christy Lee, host of the Canadian True Crime Podcast, Kathy Kenzora, the History of the 90s Podcast.